Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. and welcome to the latest Man on the Post European Football Podcast. I am your host, James Rowe, and tonight I'm joined once again by my partner in crime, Scott Munro. Scott, good evening, how are you? Very well, and I'd just like to wish you a, a happy new year and best wishes for 2019. Right back at you, friend. And uh, we'd also like to extend these wishes uh, to our listeners, our faithful listeners, who uh, who listen to us on a regular basis and... Uh, and uh, seem to enjoy it, so we'd like to wish everybody who listens to us on a regular basis a very um, um, happy 2019 and best wishes to you all. Tonight we are going to start with a team that I watched live only three weeks ago, and that was Real Zaragoza in the uh, Spanish Second Division. They were 1-0 down at home to Extremadura. They managed to turn it around and win 2-1, and they've since followed it up with a win last weekend. Against uh, away to Sporting Gijón. This is a club who uh, Arsenal fans will know, and I'm still crying even now. Won the uh, Cup, won his Cup in 1995, and uh, suffered a bit of a fall from grace, and have been out of La Liga now for a, quite a long time. I think, if my memory serves me rightly, I think they've been away for I think 10 years. I think I'd have to double check that though. But um, yeah, a fantastic experience to go to La Romareda, and uh, the fans were just so so passionate and you know you wouldn't think for a second division game in Spain but it was uh, it was quite full you know with with fans that were singing their hearts out the entire game and there was also a couple of players that caught my eye I thought the uh, the winger I thought uh, Julian Delmas was quite quick and very nippy and, and and quite intelligent on the ball and the right back as well Daniel Lazura I thought he uh, he looked pretty good, and on the side of uh, Extremadura, the, they had a player called Aitor who uh, who stood out for me. But uh, a wonderful, wonderful experience, and uh, I look forward to the next match. Uh, Romareda is a slightly dilapidated stadium. I mean, I, people were joking with me of. Uh, um, my um, in-laws and, and friends of my partner. You know, it's a it's an ugly stadium. To which my response was, "I've been in worse." And um, you know, for example, it's it's not really been tarted up. You know, the the numbers are peeling off of the uh, of the seats. You know, and you have to really look hard to find your seat. But uh, yeah, I had a good uh, I had a good view. And uh, for twenty five euros for the Spanish second division, you you can't go wrong considering I've paid uh, eighty euros for Arsenal Chelsea in two weeks time. So um, yeah, really really pleased. And I um, I would recommend to anybody who's fans of um, uh, fans of Spanish football, if you find yourself in Salvador and Real Salvador playing at home, then I would take yourself to the Lamarera to enjoy uh, what could be a, a, tr- a tremendous experience watching live football. I 
James, I've got um, a question for you based on that. What was the standard of the Spanish Segunda to what you're accustomed to, so like the Premier League or the Dutch Eredivisie? What's the uh, what's the uh, the standard like? I thought technically it was uh, it was just as it, I think technically it holds its own with the Eredivisie in terms of certain opponents that I've seen here, and um, you know there was very much possession based. You know it wasn't. 100 miles an hour like the Premier League there was good technical football being played there was a, a fantastic atmosphere throughout and obviously going to Arsenal on a regular basis our atmosphere is, leaves a lot to be desired and uh, in terms of Zaragoza they had their banners out they had their flags they had their scarves and um, yeah fantastic and uh, my mother-in-law brought me a Real Zaragoza scarf which I wore um, you know, my my mother-in-law is quite nice, but obviously the pain of ninety-five doesn't really, really ever leave you. But still, you know, it was um, it was a nice gesture from her, and uh, yeah, just um, look forward to the next match, really. And when you look when you look in the in the Spanish Segunda Segunda Division this year, you know, you got Deportivo La Coruña, Las Palmas, Cadiz, you know, Alcocon, Malaga. You know, there's there's quality, and I've I've been championing for I've been championing for years, but the Spanish league is by far and away the best league in the world. But even when you go further down, you know, there was some really good football being played in that match. There was no stop start. There was no chasing after the referee. I mean, yes, there was, um, you know, when a side doesn't get the foul that goes against them and that kind of thing. But that just happens in football. But there was no there was no real malice or anything. And, and also as well with the Zaragoza, with their new manager, Victor Hernandez, uh, Fernandez, he... Um, you know, he seems to have turned them round. I mean, they were very poor in the first half of that match against Extremadura, and they managed to turn it around in the second half and win two-one. But I think with a new manager now, and uh, I think they'll, um, I think they'll, they're on their way up. They're still, they were in the relegation zone at the start of play to what would be Segunda Bay. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a long old season still. But I, I think Fernandez will get them away from danger, and um, you know, it wasn't. I think it was only. Two, three years ago, they played Las Palmas in the last round of the promotion uh, to La Liga, and they lost. Okay. So it could have very, it could all very been, could, could have could, very well been a different story. I mean, there are there are rumblings in Saragossa that they would love to build a new stadium, but unless unless they return to La Liga, there's no real, there's no real uh, clamour for it, and I'm very much a staunch supporter of. It seems to be very much in in this day and age for every club, you know, from here to Tokyo to to build a new stadium when, you know, it seems to be the in thing to do when it's not always the right thing to do. You know, if you can't sell out your stadium, pack it to the rafters week after week after week, then you should never entertain the notion of building a new one. But I suppose with the, with the commercial aspects of football in this day and age where everybody is a global game and everybody wants to get their brand up and all these kind of things. For me, Saladotha was a real was a real throwback, you know, it was real was real fun, you know, it was um like for example if you wanted to, to, to get something at, at half time and eat and a drink, you know, there's lots of variety on offer, you know, and then you've got here in Amsterdam with Ajax you can you can you can have a beer in your seat whilst watching Ajax, you know, whereas with Arsenal, you can't take alcohol onto the stadium yeah. concourse. You know, same so with, same with just, same just, cut, yeah. just goes to show the difference. But I, I really, really enjoyed it and look forward to my next game. My, uh, 
I was joking with my partner saying um, I'm hoping to get back for the match against uh, Deportivo La Coruña in May, but uh, I think it's unlikely. But um, you know, fingers crossed when we go again next Christmas and New Year that they'll be playing at home again, and then I can have uh, a lovely experience again as well. Did you um, take in, in the local like what they do? Is it uh, in Spanish games they have slant, slant, is it sunflower seeds and um, is it bocadillas? The, the sandwiches. Did the bocadillas. Bo- yeah. No, yeah. I. I had that in the main square, of course, because obviously they have the Christmas markets with uh, with the lovely sandwiches on offer, with uh, with wonderful fillings and everything, and uh, yeah, really, really nice, and uh, the Spanish chorizo, and uh, I, I'll eat, I eat that by the bucket load, but but uh, yeah, it's fant- fantastic, and uh, yeah, just a tremendous. Um, I mean, I I'm a huge fan of Spanish football. I have been for years, you know, but even when you go further down when it's not La Liga you know you think of the prices being I mean I think the price of 25 euros for for second division football in Spain is very very reasonable and um, you know I just um, it was it was something I wanted to do for a long time because obviously my partner's from Zaragoza listeners and uh, the in-laws as well which is also nice and uh, it was something I wanted to do for a long long time and uh, it's just about finding the, the 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 right game because obviously on my first ever trip to the city I wasn't going to be rude and say right lovely to meet you all I'm off to football now even though I'd, I'd met them before but for example here in the Netherlands but you know I, I didn't want to be rude and say oh right, nice it's nice to see you again see you later I'm off now you know I wanted to to, to enjoy time and company with everybody and and it was a, it was a real good fit you know it was a real good fun and uh, one of the most enjoy enjoyable matches I've had. Um, recently, I think uh, I think when the season's when the season finishes and I, and I reflect, I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be one that sticks in the memory. To be honest, oh, nice. I'm glad you enjoyed the trip out. Yeah, and uh, so my uh, final advice to listeners is: if you do find yourself in Salafa, which is one and a half hours from Barcelona on the train, if you do find yourself in that city, which is very very nice, with lots to do, and the Real Salafa are playing at home, you'd you'd be a fool not to go. We are now going to move on, Scott, to our second subject of the night, and that is Atalanta-Bergamo. Obviously, with your Italian football expertise, which is very much appreciated by many, many listeners, uh, what would you like to say about Atalanta-Bergamo at this uh, precise moment in time? Um, they are a team uh, that is uh, pushing hard for one of the, the latter Champions League spots in Serie A at the moment, or pushing in for the Europa League spots. They've had a, an excellent end to 2018, and they'll be pushing hard to make it a better 2019. They've got playing probably one of the best stars of football in in Europe at the moment. They've had a like I said they had a brilliant December and they they did lose to Napoli and they lost to Genoa but the loss against Genoa um they, they, two, two of their defenders in Palomino and uh, Rafael Toloi didn't have their best moments and they were down to nine men for like the last couple of minutes. Both of them lost their heads and got uh, red cards which cost them dearly. But yeah they've been one of the, the best sides to watch in the last month or so. Um one of the main strikers who've been hitting form is uh, the Colombian Duvan Zapata um, who was uh, I think he's on loan from Sampdoria and they've got um, a big buyout to pay for him if they want to make it permanent in the summer which I imagine they do Um, he's a perfect foil for for Atalanta and and the players that they have that play behind him in Joseph Ilicic and uh, Papu Gomez and 
it's just brilliant to watch them fulfil what they started this season because they were a bit hit and miss at the early the start of the season and they've come into form at the latter part of this year so Zapata has had an excellent December he, he bagged a hat-trick against his former side Udinese he scored the winner against Lazio in a 1-0 win he scored in a 3-1 away defeat away at Genoa scored two in a very very impressive 2-2 draw on Boxing Day against Juventus and then he also scored against Sassuolo uh, in the final game of the year of the uh, the calendar year which Atalanta won 6-2 and then Joseph Ilicic scored a hat-trick so um, Gasparini uh, Gasparini's in charge of Atalanta and he likes to play a 3-4-2-1 and in the latter part of this year uh, not this year because it's 2019 I was thinking back into 2018 so the latter part of 2018 uh, he's moved Joseph Ilicic alongside Papu Gomez and it looks like he's got the best out of Atalanta and for Atalanta fans I think it, it sticks with them for the next few months and there's also rumblings that um, Gomez could be off there's a couple of offers of, uh, like from the UAE and I really hope he stays in, in Italy because he's a, a wonderfully gifted player and he's also very good on social media oh, um, I see. you get get good players like that and he did a, I think it was last season he kept having captain's armbands which like animated and stuff like that like oh, I, see. I think he was the one who started with that and um, this I think he wanted to pay a tribute to the late Davide Astore mm. apologies if I get this wrong but I think it may have got rejected but he did it anyway mm. But yeah, he's, he's brilliant to watch. And for me, they are one of the sides to watch for the next, for the next few months in Serie A. Um, year after year, they're, they're, they're really one of the teams to watch and their players get picked off. Just think a couple of years ago, they had Frank Kessie, Gagliardini. Um, they, they, they got picked off to go to both of the Milan clubs. Um, they had Mattia Caldara, who got picked up by Juventus, who now is on who's at AC Milan books but yeah um, if you're watching Serie A and you get to go go watch a game Bergman please do it's one of my uh, I want to do it because it looks like a an old fashioned ground where you've got no roof on for most of it and it's just a, a full side uh, full round side yeah it's just um, it'd, it'd be brilliant to see them do well this season yeah, fingers crossed. When I think of Atalanta, I think about the two Dutch players they have in Martin Delon and uh, Hans Harderboer. They've both improved individually so much since they've been, well, in case of Delon, returning to Atalanta. Yeah, it was a borough. Yeah, I stated on a previous pod, uh, Scott, obviously I've been aware of him for a long, long time. And he's an excellent player. He's an ex- And I think... He's so he was so unlucky at Middlesbrough, and to be tarnished with a brush of not being good enough, he hardly played in that season. He hardly played, and but when he did play, he made an impact and he he helped. And Hans Hartebord as well has an um, uh, before going to Atalanta had that, um, spent time at Groningen, and they've both improved so much where they're both becoming mainstays now in the Dutch national team squad. They're picked almost every single squad. And, uh, you know, individually they've improved an awful lot and obviously earn, learning the, the art of defending as well. They're just two very, very underrated players. I had a question for you about Gasparini. Um, was he just really unlucky at Inter not to push on from the days of Genoa? Or or did, or, or is there something more to it than that? I think at 
at that time, Inter were pretty much a basket case of a club, and I think a part of me still thinks they still are. And so he was only in charge for what three games. Mm-hmm. Um, in yeah, I know. Uh, generally, he's he was well loved, and he'd done such a brilliant job there. Um, he didn't have the best of times at Palermo. You think the crazy owner that they had? Yeah, goodness. <laughs> um, that's a different different story. But yeah, I think it was just bad timing for him. Um, he was only in charge, as I said, for three games, and one of the defeats was a, a three-one defeat against Navarra. Goodness, if my memory serves me. So he didn't really get the best of chances. But now nah, he's just doing a brilliant job at Atalanta. Um, but yeah, um, he's been an excellent coach in Serie A for many, many years, and he, he's uh, he's getting the, the reap of his rewards at the moment uh, in Bergamo. Yeah, is it? Would it not? Would it be a little bit, and uh, maybe unfair to say that you were unlucky not to be mentioned for the Italian national job? Oh, I don't know because they they oh, they've got some. They do pick some weird coaches. Yeah, I mean <laughs> Ventura, 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 not not because. Uh, of his age, uh, you know, obviously going from Torino to the Italian national team. And then to Chievo and only lasting four games. Yeah, but I mean, I remember with Ventura going to a friendly here here in Amsterdam against the Netherlands and Ventura watching his team from the sidelines during the warm-up looking quite animated and looking immaculately dressed. And I'm thinking, well, he must. He, he looked like a national team manager, you know, in terms of an elder statesman and you know, being aware of of what he's got at his disposal. But obviously, with the Italy not qualifying for the World Cup, his his die is being long cast. But I know, I know Gasparini from his uh, Genoa days. I also know as well that he spent time managing the Juventus youth setup. I think that was his first managerial appointment. And, um, you know, it just goes to show that, that apart from the obvious, I mean, obviously in the bright lights of, you know, of European football, some well-managers, world-class managers are well-known. But I think some that fall under the radar, like Gasparini, you know, they must have something about them. And, and that's why I wanted to ask you the question about Inter, because I thought when he got that job, it would be a step up for him to to push on a little bit you know a la what Saccaroni did all, all them years ago when he first yeah. started out in terms of the same springboard and uh, yeah but he seems to have found a home at Atalanta and they seem to um, it seems to fit I mean I remember when they played uh, when they played uh, Everton in the Europa League last season and Everton were oh we'll do there and they got absolutely walloped at home by, and, by, and, by and Atalanta yeah, and yeah. yeah, but specifically at home. I mean, I mean, I don't know if it's a British thing where European draws are made, and with the exception of Barcelona and Real Madrid, it appears that everyone else is a pub team. When people in the know that actually watch these teams know that for the for the one for the British teams and media that take um, that take foreign counterparts lightly, that they're in for a bit of a nasty surprise. And they were. Um... Quite unlucky to get knocked out of the uh, the Europa League by Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. I think mean, they 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 done well over the two games in that in that sense. Yeah. But talking on the Everton one, they scored eight past them in two games. Yeah. They won five. It was five one in Goodison, at Goodison and three nil. Uh, the first round of fixtures. Uh, actually, they played their games in Sassuolo mm. because I think they were doing development work uh, in Bergamo interesting interesting to know that listeners will listeners will appreciate that kind of uh, small detail Scott that's why they tune in yeah Uh, on Gasparini if Mancini doesn't work in in the next couple of years in the Italy job I think Gasparini would be a very ideal 
replacement for him. Yeah, would, would, I, no, I, I agree. But would it not be that? Would it not be that if uh, if the uh, Italian job doesn't work out for Mancini, that Spalletti's waiting in the wings? That's not a bad shout because I, I think Spalletti's time at Inter could be done after this season. Um, you never know the rumblings of someone who's just got sacked at Manchester, at Manchester United, and also um, Diego Simeone at, at Atletico Madrid. I th- that, could, that could happen. I, but, yeah. I don't know if we mentioned it in a in a in a previous pod, but I've got a sneaky suspicion. It's just a funny feeling in my water. I think we mentioned it in a previous pod. I think Simeone may well end up at Lazio. Okay. Yeah. I've when, got if, I've got when, a, I've got yeah. a funny feeling that you know, like before he turned up at Atletico, before he turned up that club was known as just a bunch of losers that didn't win anything. And and I think you can see similarities. I mean, Simeone's changed the club in, what is it, seven years? And to have such yeah. a profound effect on on that club. I just wonder if he sees similarities with Lazio. I mean, every, I mean, everybody's linking him with Inter. I think he said he wants to go to Italy. But I think, I think that if Lazio came in from obviously playing for the club as well, and um, I just think um, I think he'd go a bit rogue, and I think he'd see a huge opportunity to to get Lazio up. I mean, who wouldn't want to live in Rome? Who wouldn't want to play for Lazio? You know, so you've got you've got selling points there, and also the Italian league. I mean, you have a lot more expertise than what I do with the league in in, in its particular. But I also believe it's a very good league as well. It is. It's, it's on the up. It's been on yeah. the up for probably the last five or six years. Yeah. You, I know Juventus are pretty much hard. They're going to run away with it again this time. But you got clubs like Napoli, yeah. um, clubs like Roma, clubs like Atalanta who've done well in Europe yeah. and have done well in the league, and they're, they're going to be pushing again. Yeah. Um, it's not the boring league as it used to be. No, indeed. But that's 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 actually really that's a really 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 good. Sign. We are now going to finish our last uh, segment of our first part of the new year with arguably the biggest club in France who had an absolutely disastrous result away in the Coupe de France last 32 uh, where they lost to And uh, uh, you with, with, with 9 of the 11... Nine of the eleven that started that match played in the Europa League final back in May. Jesus. And it's just, I mean, I was at that final, and uh, Valerie Schumann had a chance in the first five minutes to put Marseille one 0 up. And should he, I know hindsight is a wonderful thing, but if that goal would have gone in, that match would have been completely different. Marseille, for me, I think I've stated it on a previous pod, Scott. They are, in my opinion, the biggest club. In France, I mean, when you to win the um, to win Ligue 1 nine times, to win the Coupe de France ten times, to win La Coupe de la Ligue three times, to win the uh, the Champions League in in 1993 as well. The, the the fans are fanatical. Their stadium is okay. I've never been in it, but it is the Velodrome has a tremendous reputation. You know, I just wonder now. I mean. For example, their manager, Rudy Garcia, he started off so strongly, it seemed like a tailor-made job for him to go there and make a, and make a really, really positive impression. And reaching a, a Europa League final back in May, if you fast-forward to the start of the following January, 
They are sixth in the league, winless in their last three, and 20 points behind eternal rivals Paddy Saint-Germain. And you wonder, I mean, I saw the quotes from the chairman with the regards to the embarrassment of the result. Um, you wonder if, I saw the, chef, the, chef, the chairman, Frank McCourt, I think he said that Garcia was safe and there was no, uh, there, there would be no repercussions. But for a club of this size to lose in that way to a club that, you know, I think, uh, I think they're in the, the fourth division, I believe. Yes, yeah, fourth tier. Fourth tier, and you know, at, away from home, with an extremely strong side, and you would think that Marseille would have ambitions to to win to win something again. You know, I mean, we all remember the outpouring of national pride when they won the league for the first time in seventeen years back in two thousand and ten. That was like Bastille Day times twenty. You know, and that was ju- that was just for <laughs> that was just for them winning the league title in the first time in seventeen years. And I I wonder what's gone wrong because when I look at their squad, they have got some they've got some excellent players. They've got in terms of um, Adurami, uh, for example, Dimitri Baye Strogman. I, I thought this experience was going to be the making of him. Uh, Florian Tovan as well is a, a tremendous player. Louis uh, Luis Gustavo is uh, had experience playing for Brazil. They are tremendous, um, tremendous, tremendous players in that side, and you you just wonder now uh, where do they go from here? What what's your opinion of this, uh, Scott? Um, I think it's it's close to two years to the day that Rudy Garcia got sacked by Roma. And it looks like it's gone the same way at Marseille. And then they've got Monaco um, in the first round of uh, Ligue 1 action on Sunday. Yeah. They've got Monaco at the Velodrome. Yeah. And Monaco, who are struggling at the moment, who have bought three, or looked to bought three experienced players who you would have bought in about four or five years ago. But if they lose that, I think Garcia is on his way out. And the type of squad that they've got, the type of players that they've got, they've been champing at the bit to get another striker in, and it's always going to be Mario Balotelli. They spent most of the summer trying to get him, but he decided to stay at Nice. And I think they were trying to get him in the summer, uh, not in the summer, in this January window. And Balotelli's been also maybe linked to a move to Newcastle over here in the Premier League. But yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at their, their form. Um, their last win was away at Amion on the 25th of November. Mm. So they've lost to, in that in that space of time, they've lost to Eintracht Frankfurt in the Europa League, Drew Staderon, uh, Staderin, sorry, uh, lost away at Nantes, Lost at home to Apollon Limassol in the Europa mm. League. Had a games a game called off against Bordeaux due to the protests that went before the, uh, uh, before the uh, the break. Lost to Strasbourg on penalties in the Coupe de Ligue. Drew with Angers. And uh, let me just scroll back up. Uh, and then lost at the weekend in the mm. uh, in the French Cup. It's just like this this run of form has just hit them really hard, and and they've been. They've been knocked out of the Europa League. They've been knocked out of the both French domestic cups, and they're struggling in the league. And yeah. if they lose, like I said, if they lose on, on Sunday against Monaco, Rudy Garcia is going to be seeking um, employment elsewhere. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see to see what happens as well. And it's also as well, there's 
there are some really good managers in France, and yeah. I, it's just my per- personal point of view. But when you've got, when you've got, for example, a real rich pool of managers to choose from, uh, that manage different clubs, maybe even lower clubs in France. You know, in terms of if you think of the um, if you think of the managers that are around, you know, for example, you got uh, uh, I think Casanova at Toulouse hasn't hasn't done too bad, you know, and you've got um, you've got for example Christophe Galtier uh, uh, at Lille, he's is also a, a very very good manager, and there's there's some good managers in France if you look if you look if you look hard enough, and I, I wonder if if if. Marseille do dispense of Rudy Garcia if they would look closer to home. For example, Gautier Lille, you know, he's got them so, so high in the league and, um, you know, did wonderful work at St Etienne as well in the past. So you wonder if that's, uh, if that could be a good, uh, if that could be a good appointment. But um, for the size of the club as well, I mean, as I've stated, in my opinion, it's, it's, the, it's the big, in my opinion, it's the biggest club in France. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if we live in a if we live in a world now, Scott, where people think the team that has the most money is the biggest club in the in the specific uh, country. I mean, the honours roll that I just read out from Marseille. I, I, you know, I think I think this, the second most uh, league titles after that is St Etienne, I believe, in terms of domestic league titles, in terms of league, winning league. And also, you know, with the the cup uh, cup results, and I wish them well because their fans back in May, and I experienced them bo- uh, both first hand in back in May in the Europa League final. They were so friendly and so welcoming, and were just Marseille was everything to them. You know, it's a huge, huge club. I mean, to have seen them play in um, a European final like that was a very, very special experience. But they just kind of was undone by a, an Atletico machine that was just hell-bent on winning, but if they'd have put that chance away in the first five minutes, things could have been a little bit different. Can I just say, that Valerie German miss, that yeah. clip's gone viral, Yeah. Um, and it's a horrible miss. It he is. Tried to do, he tried to do two back heels, and he absolutely fluffed the first one. It didn't come off, and the second one was straight at the keeper. Yeah. Can I also bring up um, what you say about the Europa League final? Um, the excellent Copper 90 did a lovely, lovely piece. I think it's about 15 minutes long on their YouTube page yeah. about Marseille fans travelling away to Lyon yeah. for the for the Europa League final. If anyone checks that out, yeah. please do. It's amazing. Copper 90 do brilliant work, mm. and I I can highly recommend to to watch that uh, that bit on Marseille fans because they just brought so much colour. To, to the game and travelling to the game it, it's brilliant to watch so, so I just recommend anyone to watch that yeah as I say I, I watched it afterwards having been in the environment with them and as I say the, the match was in Lyon but you would have thought you was in Marseille but but the fr- the friendliness of the fans I mean they were all so friendly you know and they were just uh, it's just a mammoth club and you just hope that they can get out of the malaise and, uh, and maybe push on a little bit perhaps but who knows? They, uh, you know, you talk about Christophe Galtier yep. and his Lille side. Uh, they play each other. Marseille play Lille on the twenty sixth of January. Be interesting. Mm, very I've, interesting. I've, I've, I've rated Galtier since his uh, since his since Etienne days, and I must also, as we're talking about French football, finally, I think I've done it before in a previous pod, but I have to eat my words as regards to Bruno Genesio at Le- at Lyon. When he was first appointed, I raised my eyebrows and thought, "What's all that about?" But I'm happy to eat humble pie. I think he's done an excellent job, and um, yeah, be uh, be interesting to see how Leon push on 
and uh, and what they can achieve this season as well. Completely agree, and he's got an excellent talent pool of players. Yeah. With him, especially uh, Tangi and Dombele, the uh, midfielder who's been turning eyes over here in, in the UK. Mm. I think he's rated at 70 million, so someone's going to be paying a lot of money for him. Indeed. In, Jan- in January or in the summer. Yeah, I think I think more in the summer. I think you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of the January transfer window, but you know, people, players and managers have commitments. As someone who interviews players and managers on a regular basis, you know, you get a different perspective. Players and managers have commitments not only to their clubs and to their contracts, but also to their families. And if you have children at school in a specific country, you're not necessarily going to uproot everybody at once just to sign that big contract. You know, if you wait until the summer when more doors open. And finally as well, uh, what's forgotten in the January transfer window, Scott, is that there are many players without a club. There are many players in between clubs. There are many players who are hoping for a loan move. You know, this, this, I know Twitter feeds with always buying this one, always buying that one, oh, everything's wonderful. In the real world, there are players that just want to start playing football again. I mean, just to bring it closer to home, for example, I recently interviewed um, uh, Andrew uh, Elafiliu, who used to play for Watford under Mazzari. He was a... Walter Mazzari brought him into the first team squads and, and gave him specific um, t- uh, coaching, which he still values to this day. He's hopeful of a loan move in January. He's hopeful to get playing again. And I, I just think the people that, that overemphasise buying as if it's, you know, you know to get out, oh, I tweeted it out first and all that rubbish. Who cares? You've got to remember there are players where livelihoods they can't do their livelihood. And you imagine anybody in any job not being able to do their job because because of the situations with uh, with the obsession with buying in some quarters. I completely agree. And um, as a, a, t- um, a supporter of a, a League 2 club, we've just brought in two young loanies um, from Bramford and Reading. And... Um, both played at the weekend and Swindon won two one and the one of the guys set up the winner. So just, perfect, perfect just, for us. Indeed, but as you say, you know, sometimes the answer really is a little bit closer to home. And as I've stated yeah. for years on end, buying is not always the only solution. Listeners, we'd like to thank you once again for joining us this evening. Scott, would you like to tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you on Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me at. at um, Scott underscore Monroe. I'd just like to do a bit of a, a personal plug. Um, last year was a bit of a difficult year for me personally. And I, I suffer with anxiety. So um, around uh, just a couple of days before the new year, I did a, pay, a, 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 a little bit of a blog, which I'm hoping to get more into this year. I did um, something called Dealing with Anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I just if anyone wants to check it out, it's on my Twitter feed. I've got some really good feedbacks from some close friends and on, and on social media. It just means a lot if someone could just, uh, if you're if the Man of the Post listeners you can just give it a read. Um, it took me about an hour, hour and 20 minutes to write and it's, it, was a, it was a bit raw to write, to write and I thought it was the perfect time to write it. So mm-hmm. um, I'm in a, a bit of a I'm in a better place now. It's been a good last few months. So um, doing this podcast helps. So yeah, um, just it's a, it's a piece called Dealing With Anxiety. Yeah, very interesting, Scott. And thanks for your honesty. As I say, you 
along with me, this is a real team effort and we make this podcast together and we enjoy this podcast together. And I should say, I'm right back at you in terms of enjoying the pod and with your expertise, specifically in Italian football, you, you, uh, I can't credit you and compliment you um, highly enough. So very well done with that and thanks for your honesty. I'm sure that uh, the listeners will check it out. Listeners, you can check me out on uh, Twitter at, at James Rowanel. We'd finally like to pass you in the direction of the Man on the Post network that have, for example, Man on the Post extra time and unusual efforts and really is something for everyone. Thank you for st- uh, starting the year with us of 2019. We really appreciate it. Don't be afraid to get your um, get your questions in uh, coming thick and fast. We didn't really get that many last year, but we've got having quite a few podcasts now and we're here every week so uh, we're always looking to to answer questions people might have however vague and uh, we look forward to you joining us again next week and finally always remember to keep your man on the post